Today, we are starting a new series in the book of Ephesians, uh, or the letter to the, uh, to the Ephesians. It's called, uh, the series is called Made and Crafted, a title which uh, I think will become more obvious as we study this letter. I don't want to give away too much right now. But if you have a Bible, please turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. A Bible will be brought to you. Um, you can follow along, take the Bible home, read the rest of the book. It's not that long. Uh, I mean, the book of Ephesians, so not the rest of the book of the Bible. Though you're almost at the end if you do Ephesians and you don't have that long way to go. Anyway, Ephesians 1, 1 through 14 is where we will be today. I will read this text and then I'll pray. So turn your devices there, your Bibles, whatever. Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, I'll be reading from the NIV translation. And I will read this and um, pray and we'll get started. Verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure, his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation when you believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. My gosh, this is God's word. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds that we might see the glorious riches of your scriptures today and appropriate them to our lives, that we would take them in and by taking them in, they would radically transform us, God. We believe in your power to do this. My words are very, very limited. Lord, you have unlimited power. You have a way of speaking to way, places that I cannot even speak to. But so, Spirit, would you speak now? Would you help me as well, Lord? My prayer is that I just be faithful to this text. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Um, have you ever been to a, uh, a Sunday brunch, like maybe buffet at a nice hotel or um, a restaurant, and you don't know where to start, like a Sunday buffet. And you don't know where to start. Ash and I were in Kauai a couple years ago and we, we went to this nice hotel that's on the water. We weren't staying there. We just went there for Sunday brunch. And we were so absolutely overwhelmed by the buffet that we didn't even know where to start. We're like, do I start at the omelet bar? Or do I start with like crab legs? Do I, do those things mix together? Like, how do I do this? That we gave up. We're like, we're not even eating here. And then we just like ordered, went and ordered off the menu. Cause there was just so many options. We didn't, we felt paralyzed. Like, 
anxious uh, dealing with this buffet. Um, that's actually how I feel when I read the first sentence of Ephesians. That, everything I read was one sentence in Greek. One sentence. The whole, that's why I read, you're like, why is he reading so fast? It's one big, from verse 3 to verse 14, that, the bulk of what we read is 200 words, in, over 200 words in Greek in one sentence. One scholar said it was one of the most monstrous sentences, sentence conglomerations he has ever met in the Greek language. Like it's a huge sentence. So where do you even start to understand the book of Ephesians when you read this first sentence? Well, I want to start where Paul starts. Let's start with blessings. He says, we are blessed. He says, we are blessed. Now that word blessed has kind of lost its teeth. It's a great word. It's a beautiful word. It's just used for everything now. Like when you walk up to someone, how are you? It's used to like respond to a greeting. I'm blessed. You're like, can you unpack that? I don't know what that means. It's like, um, we use it to even insult people. Like when we say, bless your heart, that's actually like a Southern insult. It's like a way of saying that person needs a lot of help. Um, I, when you sneeze, I have a friend that sneezes and blesses himself. He sneezes and goes, God bless me. And then he looks at me and he's like, why didn't you bless me? And I'm like, you just blessed yourself. I don't know how this works really. Um, the point is this, the, this word can become like a, a moniker for something that's completely lost on us now. We say blessed and I am blessed or bless you and it, it loses its meaning. And it's an important word to understand because Paul opens this giant buffet of theology with the reality that you and I are blessed. That's how he literally opens. Verse 3 reads like this, literally. Blessed be God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Blessed be God. If you don't know what blessing means or blessed, you don't know what the sentence means. Blessed be God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And the rest of the poem that we read is Paul unpacking what the blessings that we have in Christ are. So it's important that we understand what this word means. What does the word blessing mean? Dietrich Bonhoeffer once suggested that a blessing is a visible, perceptible, effective proximity of God. It is the visible, perceptible, effective proximity of God. I believe that's wildly accurate, but it might need some unpacking as well. The etymology of the word blessed is to speak well of someone. So when you bless someone, you're speaking well of them. But the biblical word is a little bit more potent than that. Biblically, what blessing means, to be blessed means to have every joy and every benefit that our heart and soul needs and longs for. Being blessed by God is to have every joy and every benefit that our heart and soul needs and longs for. There are two origin stories of blessing in the Bible. Two origin stories. One from the Old Testament at the beginning and one from the beginning of the New Testament that I think help frame up what the word blessed means. The first one is found in creation. Genesis 1 and 2. God creates. And after he's done creating, every day he's done creating, he looks at what he created that day. And if you want to know what that means, we studied Genesis a few years ago, so go back and refer to that. But every time, every time he's done with a period of creating, he, he would step back and see everything that he created and he said, it is what? good. It's a blessing. I made this. It is good. He saw the wild potential and light and the stars and the moon and the ocean and the land and the animals and the trees. And he saw the, all of the wild potential and the hope and what he made. And at the end of the day, he said, I bless this. This is good. It is good. You are good. And notice it's before the things did anything. 
They were just created. Before they've done anything to deserve your good, it was good because God created it. He blessed it. And at the end of creation, when humanity was created, God stepped back and said every, it was, everything was very good. It is very good. This is blessing. Now, this is what makes Genesis 3 so arresting as well. Genesis 3 is about the, the fall of humanity. Adam and Eve had every joy and every benefit that their heart and soul needed and their heart and soul longed for. And it was very good. And they walked in relationship and fellowship with God, but they still chose to rebel. They said, this is not good enough. They said to God, you might be withholding something from us. So the first origin story of blessing is God creating and then God saying, this is very good. The second origin story that we get is Jesus' baptism in the New Testament. Jesus' baptism in the New Testament. Jesus, 30 years old, begins his public ministry by being baptized. And the, and the way Jesus' baptism goes or the way Jesus' baptism is described in the Gospels is a prototype for all blessing to follow. So the baptism of Jesus is the prototype for blessing that you and I, those who follow Jesus, like live under today. And it goes like this. Jesus goes to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. And John takes Jesus and immerses him in the river. And as Jesus' head breaks the waters, the heavens open and God's voice is heard to say this. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. A really good translation of that is, this is my blessed child. This is my blessed child. In him I take delight. He sees Jesus coming out of the waters of baptism. This is my blessed child. In him I take delight. And the thing about this blessing is from the Father, it's the kind of blessing that he, kind of, he gave the created world. Jesus was blessed before he did anything. Jesus was blessed before he healed anyone before he resisted Satan, before he had been crucified or resurrected, before Jesus did a thing, the father said, you are my son and I bless you and I take delight in you. Scholars of this passage alert us to the underlying image inside of this text. That at Jesus, as Jesus' head breaks the waters, it is clearly an image of birth. And this highlights how significant this event is in Jesus' life. He is truly being reborn through his father's blessing. Jesus is being reborn through his father's blessing. So these are the two stories. These are the two stories that frame up blessing that we can like build upon. That in creation, God creates it and says it is good. And Jesus being baptized is blessed. Says this is my blessed son in whom I take delight. Blessing. Anthropologists tell us that there are three components to a blessing. Three components. One, to bless someone is to see and like that person. To see and like them. To speak well of him or her. And give away some of your life so that he or she might have more life. Three components to a blessing. When we want to bless someone, when we are blessed, this is what it looks like. You see someone and you, you, you delight in that person. That you speak well of them and that you give away some of your life so that, that person can have more life. Think about that. Think about how blessing starts with being seen. 
I mean, not in a judgmental way. People see us and they judge us. That happens. Like when you walk into a public gathering or a party, what we are all hoping for when we walk into a public gathering or a party is to be blessed. That's all we, we all want. We walk into a gathering or a party and we don't know that many people. We're just hoping for someone to see us, but not see us like judgmental people see people. Not like someone looking at you up and down and giving you a look. Like, you know that when they look you up and down, they're like, oh, why are you here? And you're like, why am I here? That's a curse, right? That's a curse. A blessing would be more like they look at you and then they walk up to you and they say, I'm welcome. I'm glad you're here. And at, at, that, at that very moment, you feel like blessed. That, that feeling is a feeling of being blessed. It's like someone receiving you in. Like, oh, we're so glad that you're here. Think of it like this. Um, I'm talking a lot about restaurants and food today. I don't know why. Um, if you've ever been to a nice restaurant and the chef comes out to see you, that is like, there's hardly a word to describe that feeling other than being blessed. When, when um, a few years ago, uh, years ago, like six years ago or something like that, um, my wife and I were invited to go to uh, Wayfair Tavern. I think I've talked about this restaurant before. If you've ever been there in the financial district. And we're invited to go there with some friends. We sat there and we're eating dinner and the, the head chef, Tyler Florence, walks in and comes right up to our table and says, hey, I heard that you guys were here. I don't even know who, guys, what that even means. He's like, I heard you guys were here and I wanted to come in and say thank you for dining with us and welcome. And my wife and I were freaking out. Like we're looking at him, she's looking at me and Ashley's like, are we on the Food Network? What is happening right now? Oh my gosh, this is like happening. She's freaking out. Like, and we felt like that, that is, and we wanted to take this, I think this was before selfies. Anyway, we're like, can we have our picture with you? He's like, come down to the kitchen afterwards. I'll show you around, take a picture. And I, I, we go downstairs after we're done eating and he shows us around and um, I go, I'm going to take a picture. And my wife, um, she's, she has a beautiful smile, but she never smiles with teeth. She just kind of smirks like, you know, <laughs> not, not, not this picture. Like a smile and she's just all teeth, just the biggest like, teeth smile you've ever seen. Like so excited about being welcomed in. This is the feeling, uh, and that's kind of a silly example, but what, think about it like this. What about award season, as we've been in award season, like Oscars and Grammys and blah, 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 and the speeches that have been given. And there's been this theme in some speeches recently where the person who wins the award looks at the camera and calls out a segment of people that have typically been marginalized in our culture and says to the camera, we see you, we hear you. And it's super powerful. Why is it powerful? Because it's blessing. It's a blessing to see someone. It's a blessing when you're being seen. When someone looks at you and says, I see you. I completely see you. Not only is blessing tied to being seen, but it's tied to being liked and spoken well of. Meaning you want to be around that person. Like, I'm so glad you're here. This one might be more potent if we think about the opposite of this. What does it look like? To curse someone. To curse someone means, uh, cursing isn't necessarily cussing. I'm not talking about that, right? So it's not cussing. It's not saying that word when you miss your bus or when your computer starts like color wheeling, like that thing that comes out of your mouth. That, that's cussing. Um, that will come up later in Ephesians. That's not this. Um, cursing. Cursing is saying this. I wish you weren't here. I hate your presence. I wish you would go away. That's a curse. Uh, confession, a curse is how I treat Uber drivers on the road in San Francisco. I'll be driving around and they just stop everywhere and they do these weird moves and I'm like, I say, I, 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 
I'm, just, I'm completely confessing here. This is, I yell out loud in my car, are you kidding me, Uber? Get off the road. No one likes you. I don't like you. The person behind me, no one likes you. Horrible. That's horrible. That's a curse. These are, I mean, every time I've met Uber drivers, they're great people and trying to make a living. But when I'm on the road, and I, this week, I'm like, I'm going to bless, I'm, I'm glad you're here, Uber. I'm so glad. I love your presence. I want to be near you. Really, really near you. Like, I, I want to practice this. Um, but that's what a curse is. Curse is, I wish you weren't here. I wish you were not here. Think about this as we think about our homeless community in San Francisco. Are we blessing or cursing? Are we saying, I wish you weren't here? Are we saying, thank you for being here? What are we doing? What are we doing when we're walking down the street? Just think about that. Blessing and cursing. The last component of blessing is I give away some of my life so that you can have more life. I see this most clear in this church when I spend time around parents in this church. Seeing how you are giving your life away in small ways and then some, a lot of times in super large ways so that your children can have life and more life. You give up your life so they can have more. That's godlike. That's blessing. And there are some of us, though, speaking of parents, there's some of us, maybe more, more of us than some of us, that have lived life growing up in non-blessing. And we operate out of a cursed consciousness where we were told either verbally or non-verbally growing up, you're not wanted here. I don't like your presence. I don't know what to do with you. Shut up. Or maybe you are only here because you've performed well, because you've done X, Y, Z, so don't screw up and lose it. Or you're gone. And this breeds in us what existentialists like to call alienation. The feeling of being detached from the world like estranged from people or society or the universe. Not at home in the world. Not at home even in ourselves. We don't feel like anyone has welcomed us in. Not the universe. Not anyone. We feel estranged. There's a secular philosophical language for this because we all feel it from time to time. Now, that's a very large setup to what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 1, but it's necessary because when you know what blessing is, you can start to see how much Paul tries to convince us that we have become recipients of the blessing of God. You and I are recipients of God's blessing. Verses 3 through 14 is all about our blessings in Christ. And let me summarize them. Here they are summarized. Here are the blessings. God chose us. God predestined us. He lavished his grace on us. Through his blood or through his life, he redeemed us. He forgave us. He made known to us his plan for the cosmos. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. He gave us a new identity and working and is working everything out in our lives toward us living into that new identity. These are the blessings just in verses 3 through 14. These are the blessings that we have in Christ. And all the components and more are there of a blessing. Of what a blessing is. It's, it's what all of us are really looking for. What our hearts and souls long for and need. That God sees us. And God delights in us. He speaks well of us. Wants us to be near him and him near us. And most importantly, Christ has given away his very life so that we can have true life with God. Blessing. Christ, we are blessed in Christ. But how is this true? 
How is this not just wishful thinking? How, this, how is this right here, what I just read, how is this not like the power of positive thinking? How is what I just read not like you read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 to yourself every morning and it's almost like a version of I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me. Like how do you keep it from being this the power of, how do you make this palpable and concrete in our lives and where we see that we are actually being made more and more, this is made more and more true in us. How does that happen? How do we keep this from just not being like words on a page? How are these blessings of God even possible? Answer, in Christ. These blessings are possible in Christ. All of this is true and possible and potent in Christ. That's what this whole passage is getting at here. The phrase is used over and over and over again. Maybe you picked up on it when I was reading through it. In Christ, look at verse 3. Let me just read the list of all the in Christ. Just the, the passages that we read today. Verse 3, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4, he chose us in him or in Christ. Verse 6, by the, his glorious grace, grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Verse 9, we are made known to us the mystery of his will which he has purposed in Christ. Verse 11, in Christ we also are chosen. Verse 12, to put our hope in Christ. Verse 13, 13, you were included in Christ when you heard the gospel. Verse 14, when you believed, you were marked in Christ with the Holy Spirit. In Christ, in Christ. All of the blessings of God are available to us in Christ. How is this possible? How is God actively making all of his blessings true about us in Christ? And the answer is only through Christ. Now, that's true. Okay, in Christ. But again, we have to define that. Because I say in Christ, like in Christ. But what does that even mean? You might be surprised to know that Paul never used the word Christian to describe someone who is a believer in Jesus. Now, we use that word all the time as a moniker for a follower of Jesus. But Paul never used the word Christian. He never used that term Christian. He didn't describe someone as a follower of Christ as a Christian. That was... That was um, that, that was brought on actually uh, as a derogatory uh, name about people who follow Jesus. But Paul never used the word Christian or the term Christian. The, the most common descriptor of those who follow Christ, by, used by Paul, is that people are in Christ. So the way that the New Testament talks about being a Christian, the way New, the New Testament talks about being a follower of Jesus is being in Christ. That is, being Christian means to be united with Christ or in union with Christ. So let me put it this way. If you are here and you have rejected Christianity, do you know what you have rejected? If you are, you're here and you've rejected the Christian faith, do you know what you have rejected? You haven't rejected a moral code necessarily. You haven't rejected a religion. You haven't rejected a disembodied heaven in the sky when you die. No, what you've rejected is union with the living God that is only possible in Christ. So if you've rejected Christianity, you have rejected union with God that is only available in Christ. Being a Christian means that you have union with Christ and that the life that you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God, is the way the Apostle Paul put it in the, in the letter to the Galatians. And what this means in like layman's terms is that 
being in Christ, what that means is that what is true of Christ is true of us. Is that when we're in Christ, what's true of Jesus is now true of us. You remember Jesus' baptism. I said that's a prototype of all blessing to follow. When the father looked at Jesus at baptism and said, this is my blessed child in whom I take delight. That is now us. God sees us in Christ and delights in us. We become literally reborn in the blessing of Christ. We have the blessing of Christ upon us. And in Christ, God sees us without blemish. And this is what Paul trips out on. Without blemish. This is the way Paul puts it in verse 4. That we are holy and blameless in his sight. Verse 4. We are holy and blameless in his sight. God sees us holy and without blemish. But how do you see you? You see it all. You see all of yourself. You see your own nakedness, both physically and otherwise, and all of the imperfections that are involved in that. And what you want to do and what I want to do is cover up. That is Genesis 3 language, by the way. Fig leaves, covering up our nakedness, covering up our shame, covering up because we feel naked and exposed and flawed. And God sees it all. He sees all of your flaws. He sees all of your blemishes, all of your mistakes. And he says, holy and blameless in Christ. And you might be thinking, that's way too easy. It can't be that easy. There's no way that I can like say a prayer or do something like that. And then all of a sudden he just, I'm holy and blameless in Christ. It can't be that easy. I can't have all these flaws and all these inconsistencies and all these blemishes and all these mistakes. And just like that, they're gone. There's no way that can be true. The thing is that they're not gone, they're taken. They're taken by Christ. Our flaws are taken by Jesus on the cross. The way Paul says in verse 7 is that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. This is the real blessing of God. Jesus' life given so that we might have life. His life. And this is the ultimate blessing. What's the third part of a blessing? Is that they, someone get part of their lives so that the other person can have more life? Christ has given his entire life that we can have true life. This is what it means to be blessed. And it's true. And this, this, this storyline, by the way, of substitution, of sacrificial love given, this is the backbone of every single great story. It's the backbone of all our modern fun stories. It's the backbone of the stories like, I mean, Hunger Games and Harry Potter. And a friend of mine gave me this sci-fi trilogy, trilogy to read last year, Red Rising. And oh my gosh, it's so good if you've read it. And the, 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 sac, the sacri sacrificial love sets the, the book on a trajectory. It's in all our stories. Lion King, Pinocchio, Little Mermaid, Toy Story 3. I mean, name them, all the Disney movies. All of them. This is it. Why? Well, not only because I think deep down it's what we all want, but I believe deep down we know it, we all know it's true. It's a true story. It's the story of Jesus. And, and I think this is what makes Christianity unique. I mean, what does, what does make Christianity unique? I mean, is it the incarnation? Is it the resurrection? Is it the moral code? Is it the promises? There was a, a debate on this topic at a, at a British conference on comparative religions and experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. 
And they said, is the incarnation? And they go, well, other religions have different versions of God's appearing in human form. And then they go, what about the resurrection? They go, well, again, other religions had accounts of return from death. And as the story goes, the debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. And he asked, what's all the rumpus about? And they said, we're considering Christianity's unique contribution to world religions. And Lewis famously responded, oh, that's easy. It's grace. And he left the room. And then after some discussion, <laughs> after some discussion, they all, agree, they all agreed. This is, this is what makes Christianity so unique. This is what, this is verse 8. That the riches of God's grace have been lavished, poured out on us. It's insane. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge. I mean, it, it cost him everything, but it costs us nothing. No strings attached seems to go against every instinct of humanity. This is not, it can't be the way it is. It's too good to be true. There's no way. And Paul says this is God's grace has been lavished on us, poured out on us in super abundance. And how, how does this grace work though? How does this grace that Christ pours out on us, how does the grace that, that is activated in Christ in our lives, how does it work? How can I be in Christ and everything that is true of him is true of me? Think of it like this. It's an imperfect analogy, but hopefully it helps. Um, think of the, the Golden State Warriors, just for a second. <laughs> think good thoughts, everyone. Think good thoughts. <laughs> Kevin Durant gets hurt this last week, okay? And in the same game, Steph, misses, Steph Curry misses this three-point buzzer to win the game and misses it, and they lose the game. Let that soak in for a bit. Of, like, it's painful. Okay, at that moment, when Steph shoots the three, the ball is in the air, and the team and the fans, at that moment, when the ball is in the air, we, have, we all, all the team and all the fans, identified with Steph Curry. He missed it. He lost. They lost. We lost. But let's say, if he would have made it, just like he's made a billion of them, right? See, say he would have hit that buzzer beater, a three at the buzzer beater, and he would have won, and then they would have won, and we would have said, we won. We participate in another tri another's triumph. We get that. That person wins, they win, we win. We understand this. We have a, a great story of this in the Old Testament of David and Goliath. David, small runty of a runt of a boy and against this giant Goliath, and he won, David won, and therefore Israel won. Israel was identified in David at that moment when David took down this giant. He won, Israel won. This is the same as being united with Christ. We're united with Christ. He has victory. We have victory. He's overcome sin and death. We've overcome sin and death. We, he's identified with us and we've identified with him. And we are in Christ. We participate in Christ's victory. All of his victories. Or Paul would call them in verse 14, inheritance. All of that is now ours in Christ. All of it. Everything that Christ has won is now given to us. His victory is our victory. Over sin, over death, everything that he's won, life is ours now in Christ. Do you understand that? Now, one last thing I want to show you before we close is that what, is it, what does it mean to be in Christ? Where is that like located? Because there's a location to this that's really trippy. And I might get a little sci-fi here, but just bear with me for just a second, okay? Promise? Okay, good. If we are in Christ... The question is, where is Christ? We're in Christ. Where is Christ? 
Because being in Christ is not just a heavenly perspective. I'm not saying, hey, you're in Christ, have this heavenly perspective. That's not what it's talking about. It's a location and it's a spiritual reality. Being in Christ and where Christ is, is a location and it's a very spiritual reality. Look at verse 3. Again, it says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In the heavenly realms. Underline that. This is such a trippy thing here. Paul talks about the heavenly realms throughout the book, his letter. It says that the blessings of God come from the heavenly realms where Christ is. But later in verse, in chapter 2, verse 6, Paul even explains this a little further. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. It's on the screen. And God raised us up because we've been identified with Jesus Christ. God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What? Listen. We are, we're so identified with Christ that we're seated right now with Christ in the heavenly realms. The blessings of Christ come to us from the heavenly realms. We're seated there right now in the heavenly realms. Where are we? We're in Christ. And where is Christ? In the heavenly realms. Okay, what does that mean? Are you interested yet? What does that mean? And this is what it means. Okay, this has to do with two ages of Jewish theology. The present age, the present evil age, and the age to come. And one day they believed that the age, to come, the age to come would come and destroy the present evil age. But that's not exactly what happened. What happened was that the, that the age to come was just inaugurated in Jesus. It started in Jesus. And it broke in. So now you have this overlapping of ages. You have the present evil age and the age to come. They're kind of overlapping. This is where you kind of get that language of, of um, on earth as it is in heaven. Like may the kingdom of God come on earth as it made it, may the kingdom of God overlap into this, this age. The age to come has broken into this present evil age because of the resurrection. Thus the blessings that we are blessed with come from that future glory age that's breaking into the present. The blessings of Christ today are coming from an actual location, the future glory age, and that's breaking into today, meaning what we shall be is coming into the present as the blessings of God. That future peace, that future glory, that future self, that future reality is breaking into today in the form of blessings. So they are not simply future benefits, but present, a present reality. Now, let, me, let me try to make this as simple as I can. Think of it as you and I have a future glory avatar seated in the heavenly realms right now. Okay, just think about this. Just go there with me for just a second. I'm reading this book called Ready, Ready Player One, and it's all about like, anyway, so just go there for a second. There's this, imagine there's a, like there's a future glory Dave Lomas seated with Christ right now. And in this future glory, we, the Bible uses the word perfect, but it's not, that's not what you and I think it means. It's complete. Okay, so there's a future glory Dave that's complete in Christ, that in Christ, I'm complete, I'm whole, I'm glorified. And I'm already seated there with Christ in the heavenlies. That future glory avatar is there. And it's true. It's the real me. It's the real me that's redeemed before God. And the work of the Father and Son and Spirit right now is pulling me, right, me, Dave Lomas, right now in 2017. He's pulling my, my, me to my future glory self. 
That's what he's doing. He's going, all of this stuff that's now seated with Christ in the heavenlies, I'm, I'm going and I'm pulling Dave towards this every day. Through everything he's going through, every circumstance, everything going on in this wicked and torn up world, I'm pulling him and, if you look at verse 10, all things in heaven and earth towards that. Jesus is pulling everything that way. He's grabbing all of the present world and he's dragging it in to the future glory world. This is the work of the Father and the Son and the Spirit right now. And this means that you and I can have real hope. That we can have real, true hope. That God is working out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Everything with the conformity of the purpose of his will. And that... You can't half clap on that. I mean, you got to either clap or not clap on that. Okay. I wasn't asking for a clap. Just don't. I don't think Jesus is glorified by half claps. Just saying. <laughs> so God is taking my mistakes and the mistakes of others around me and this very messed up world and me and he's pulling all of us towards future glory. And God is making me become who I already am in Christ right now, seated. He's making me become, listen to that. He's making me become who I am. That is the, probably one of the best definitions of the effects of following Jesus right now in my life. I am becoming who I already am in Christ. He's pulling me that way. So question as we close. Are you participating in, your, in you becoming your future glory self? Or are you fighting that? Are, and we do this, guys. We resist all the time. We resist becoming who we are in Christ. We dig our heels in and says, no, I will not. I will, I will withhold forgiveness. I, I won't confess my faults. I will give my body over to unrighteousness. And we, we, we actually work against God's working in us. Instead of, instead of actually participating in like, God, as you're pulling me towards who I will be, who I am right now, already seated with you in Christ. As you're pulling me, I want to participate with that. I want to let go of the things that I'm, I, in my power, I can let go of. I want to not withhold the things that I know I should be giving. I should be giving love. I should be giving forgiveness. I should be giving hope. I don't want to withhold those things, God. I want to give obedience. I want to give these things. And I, do, I want to participate in this. I want to participate in this with you, God. So as we close, I'd like us to be silent before God, just for a couple beats, just for a couple moments. And I want us to sit with the question, what might God be inviting us into as we participate in him making us who we already are? Let's just sit with that for just a second. Church, let's close in prayer together by reading this prayer that's on the screen. It's called the doxology. Let's read it out loud together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host.
praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.